Uh, this is Lindsay Miller, and you're listening to the Arkansas Times Week in Review podcast on Friday, February the 21st. On this week's episode, we're going to talk about Little Rock politics, the District 34 runoff election, state Supreme Court race, and probably some more. Okay. I'm joined once again by Max Brantley, uh, back from afar and coronavirus free. Yeah, we made it without being infected, I'm happy to say, but it kind of messed up our trip a little. Well, what was the highlight before everything went awry? <laughs> Guam? Because we got to stop there. We didn't get to stop anywhere else because all the ports were closed our ship because of coronavirus. So, What kind, anyway. of, what kind of food do you get in Guam? Uh, well, actually, I went to a Filipino fast food chicken chain called Jollibee's. And it was kind of, it was, the chicken was just kind of chicken, but it was kind of weird. They serve a spaghetti side dish it's with hot dogs chopped up. It's a weird place, but huh. I kind of liked it. It was all right. Okay. Well, on to it. Uh, on Tuesday, the Little Rock Board of Directors voted to withdraw a couple of ordinances that um, would have, one would have restructured the board's at-large positions, and another would have given the mayor uh greater authority over the city manager and city attorney and these were these are these were big proposals of the mayor by the way let's make clear these are campaign promises of his and uh it was really strange he said well the staff removed them from the agenda well the staff works under his direction i think he pulled them it's pretty clear what happened here there's opposition on the city board to both these ideas and it had the potential of, of being a distraction in the coming campaign to raise the sales tax, which was not a campaign promise to the mayor, but which he can't live without if he wants to have money to spend at City Hall. So it's more important to him right now to raise the sales tax than it is to do something about city government. I don't happen to mind it much because I think the proposal the city study committee came up with to not exactly do away with at-large directors, but have them be at-large light directors serving regional areas, it's just more of the same thing. Doesn't really. I think either we go to a ward council, a mayor council situation with ward directors, or we just leave it like it is. Also, just kind of confusing. It was just, and I think that was the biggest problem with city board is what does this mean? What's the difference here? It's just, it's just a bad idea. I think. Yeah, we have not talked about on the podcast that uh, our friend Antoine Phillips, uh, Little Rock lawyer, who's also <laughs> very close with the mayor, has announced that he's going to run for an at-large seat, which. It has the potential of changing that familiar dynamic. Of- well, right, for one thing, he's African-American. We have had an at-large African-American director in the past, uh, but he came out of the business-established community. As, you know, I, I, I'm too struck that electing Antoine Phillips would be something of a change because he's a, a pretty progressive type, although he is a right long-firm lawyer. He's not exactly on the outside of the establishment community in Little Rock, particularly since he's so close to the mayor who's now the big cheese and little rock sure. but but i think he was he certainly comes from a background and has a proven outlook on issues including the public schools significantly that makes him somewhat different than people who've held that position before yeah and it i mean i think he would say he's he's more progressive than the mayor in a lot of ways oh i think i think he by things he said that's clear yeah yeah um Okay, well, so I talked quite a bit about the tax proposal while you were gone skeptically. Do you want to weigh in? Well, I, the city needs more money. I, unfortunately, realistically, the only way to get more money is a sales tax increase, uh, which means poor people on their groceries are paying for the sales tax increase. 
you know, they're going to pitch this as improving our parks. And, you know, number one, I don't know that parks necessarily have that big a constituency. they got a lot of golfers who are pissed at the mayor for shutting down the golf courses. So, and they're not going to vote for it, that's for sure. But uh, the problem is, is how exactly are they going to spend this money? And, and there, there's some areas that just need to be addressed. The mayor said he's going to use some for an economic development fund. Boy, that is a terrible idea. We just don't need an economic development slush fund that he controls. That's abused by the governor, will be abused by the mayor. There's no proof that these things work anyway. Is he going to give let the Chamber of Commerce again dictate that money goes for real estate speculation at the Little Rock Port or to buy another downtown office building for the misbegotten tech park? I mean, that, that would weigh the way these things have gone in the past. And I'm, I'm just against it. I, I think it's a terrible idea, if that's what the idea is. But we need to have some promises about just what is on offer. You know, we're in a city where we've got one of the highest garbage pickup costs in the country. And we have fairly crappy service in return for it. We've got potholes all over town that aren't being fixed. I think we waste millions of dollars on poorly designed programs of outreach to youth. Uh, we're talking about putting money into public schools on some good ideas for community, community-based schooling, but uh, <laughs> that's gonna take some money. You know, to this point, there's just been an awful lot of platitudes and not a lot of specifics. And before I get on board a tax increase, I, I'm gonna have to have more promises on exactly how the money's gonna be spent. Well, they're going to have to get moving, right? I mean, this has to be approved first by the board of directors, and then there's going to be a big campaign. And, and, and right, there'll have to be a campaign. And when are they going to vote? Are they going to wait till next November? That means we go a whole another year without the money. And we've got we've got uh, uniform city employees who are due for a new contract at some point. That's going to cost money. You mean wait? You mean this November? That's that's what yes twenty right. twenty but I mean that's a whole calendar year of budgeting without more money right uh, because the money doesn't come in from a sales tax until at least a month after the collections begin so we're talking about a year from now before it has an impact uh, and speaking of uniform employees is this mayor going to do anything about this outlandish giveaway of commuting cars to policemen who won't live in the city of Little Rock. When's there going to be some action on some real, and, and are we going to get something where we don't have to pay a half million dollars again for accrued vacation time for this mayor, should he decide to leave office? Uh, City Hall just got a lot of cleanup to do before it starts expecting a handout of money. Okay, well let's leave that there and move on to the, uh, the runoff election to replace the late uh, State Representative John Walker, that's District 34. There's a runoff between Joy Springer and Ron Davis. The The result may be decided tonight. The uh, election commission is meeting. It, it ended in a tie, and then there was this crazy thing where one vote was lost and then found. But the thing that I'd like to talk about is something that you wrote about on the blog, and that's that there were a number of uh, votes that were disqualified by poll workers because their signatures didn't match. Right. Uh, it turned out... I guess there were 13 provisional ballots uncounted, but four of them weren't counted as a result of a finding that the signatures on the absentee ballots didn't match the signature on the voter registration card. Election Commissioner Josh Price later sent me a long explanation of this process that I posted on the web last night. And before this happens, there is a review by four different election officials before they discount a ballot. And they say it's only supposed to be because of gross differences in the, in the signature. And, and 
they insist that they try and err on the side of counting ballots, not discounting them. But it does bother me that, that well, well, clearly, if there's an obvious forgery, there needs to be a way to dis- disqualify a ballot. But as I've said in my own case, I know my signature has evolved over the years into a scrawl that bears no resemblance to what I signed on my voter registration card more than 40 years ago. In sure. Little Rock. And you can imagine some sort of catastrophic illness, a stroke that might dramatically and, change. And so, and, and you are not able to go into the commission and even present yourself and say, that's me, and get the ballot counted. It's the decision that's made by the 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 commission employee review is final. And so, I don't know, I, I, I'm not at all suggesting anything wrong was done in this particular case, but uh, the possibility makes me a little bit nervous. Yeah, I think that there should be some sort of appeal. Yeah, I, I you know, particularly if this, if this election ends up in a tie or a one vote victory, I, I, I'm, I'm not sure we won't see some legal action over some of these issues. Although again, this is, just for the remainder for this year to fill out this term. And by the way, I forgot there is going to be there is an independent candidate. So whoever wins this primary still must defeat the independent in the finals of the special election. Right. Though they it's against Roderick Talley. No, I, I'd will say be the, very favored. Right. And they're also going to run against each other in the regular election for the next term in the same election. There'll be two different elections the same day. Oh, wait, there'll be another, in November, they will run against each other again? No, there'll be a, a special election for this year, March the 3rd, and a primary election for the general election, but I don't think there's anything but Democrats in the regular election. The primary is March, it's confusing. Oh, so, so one could win the yeah. special election and then the other could win the primary yeah, election. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh. Not enough has been made of that. No, that, that could happen. That. I mean, the prime, the special election is important though because that person will be. There's going to be a legislative session later this spring, and that person who wins a special election will will have that seat. Right. Okay. Uh, well, let's talk about the state supreme court race. Uh, judicial elections have gotten a lot of attention. I think a lot of people don't know where to go, and uh, we've we've kind of resisted weighing in because there's a lot of good candidates on, on the Pulaski County Circuit level. State Supreme Court race is uh, a little more clear it's, it's, cut. No, it's pretty clear cut. You've got you have two candidates. It's going to be decided March the third. One is Chip Welch, a veteran trial lawyer who's been on the bench for what seven years now, has a good solid record as a circuit judge in Pulaski County. And he's running against Barbara Webb, who's a state administrative law judge, who is the wife of the Republican Party chairman Doyle Webb, and and. Apart from that, is running an overtly partisan race for this office. She's using a mailer that carries essentially an endorsement of her by the Republican governor. Her campaign contributions have been swollen by financial contributions from Republican county committees. She's campaigned at Republican county committees. She's getting a huge influx of dark money spending already underway by the Republican State Leadership Committee, a national pack of corporate interests that pours dark money into judicial races. And the problem is, is this is a nonpartisan seat. It is, they don't run as partisan. In fact, the, the, the Code of Judicial Ethics says that candidates for judicial office should avoid partisan endorsements and avoid partisan trappings because it tends to be a commentary on their impartiality. And 
I think she clearly, and the State Chamber of Commerce has already made it clear they want to elect Barbara Webb because they think it's cheaper than passing a tort reform amendment. They think she would be a, a blockade to people suing for damages in court against corporate misbehavior and against malpracticing doctors and nursing homes. So to my point of view, uh, the choice is clear. It's funny. Her biggest argument against Chip Welch is that, well, he's supported by lawyers. Like, she's a lawyer. Is that a, is that a bad thing? What she means is, is he's supported by trial, trial lawyers, people who defend the right of poor and injured people to have their day in court. What a terrible thing that is. That's not something that corporate America, the Republican Party, tends to favor. Right. Well, and it's not like Welch is some lefty. I mean, he no. He, he, he's a strict constructionist and says that John Roberts is his favorite Supreme Court uh, <laughs> justice. So. Yeah, he could have done better on that question from from, from my point of view. Yeah. No, but he's. I mean, he's. You know, he's a veteran, been around forever, and you know, I, I think. Uh, I mean, he's the clear choice from my point of view. However, you know, I, I think several people have complained to me. I've written a lot about this and I've written about the part how hypocritical it is, particularly because when Doyle Webb was a senator, he was a leader in the in the movement to change judicial elections from partisan to nonpartisan because he said, you know, we've got to have this to have impartiality. Well, the reason he really did it was at that time, the filing fees paid by Democratic judicial candidates were enormous and were a big boon to the Democratic Party and the Republicans wanted to end that. That's what that really was about. But he's just a towering hypocritical dork now to, to, to be out there overtly trying to elect a Republican of the court. But a lot of people complain to me I should shut up about this because Arkansas is such a Republican state now. They think that'll get her elected. It'll be reflexive. There's more people know she's a Republican, the more people will vote for her. <laughs> well, we we saw this play out in the last big uh, Supreme Court election between David Sterling and, and Courtney Goodson, uh, where dark money came in on the side of Sterling, but Goodson won handily. And there's a, a lot, um, a lot of uh, advantage traditionally given to someone who can have judge before their name on right. the ballot. Right, and, and Chip Welch will have that. Of course, Doyle Webb tried to change the law so that his wife could have run as judge on the strength of her serving briefly by appointment by Asa Hutchinson, but he failed in that. Well, you know, the the, the Courtney Hudson thing was kind of complicated. The, the dark money had come in and beaten her in a race for Supreme Court Chief Justice, and then they came back and tried to beat her again and help David Sterling, who indeed was pretty well identified as a Republican. But, you know, and they spent $2.6 million, an enormous sum of money to try and beat her. But I think she made good use of free media. She filed complaints about the spending, filed a lawsuit to stop some of the ads, claiming they were wrong. And they were intensely personal criticisms of her that tied into a man that she'd been married to and given her gifts when they were courting. And I think there ended up being some backlash because she was a woman who looked like she was being bullied by this group. And there's a little bit different dynamic now. In fact, so far, most of the advertising I've seen paid for by dark money in this Supreme Court race has just been putting Barbara Webb on talking about what a wonderful person she is. I mean, I think there's viewed an advantage to being a female candidate these days. And, and and, And Chip Welch, for his part, has been very careful not to really attack Barbara Webb. He's emphasized his experience, that he's had more on the bench, and that he's a fair-minded kind of guy. He has emphasized that he's not a partisan candidate, but he's he's not dug at all into the fact that, that she's been married to a wholly unethical person who got in ethical trouble, Doyle Webb did, over handling of estate matters, including for his own mother. and. 
who's had some some checkered business dealings, which she benefited from because she shares in, for example, their rental property business that's been found to be tax delinquent in the past. So he's he's not touched any of that. That's been left to unpleasant people like me to mention. Okay. Well, we will continue to talk about that. Um, so we got a little bit of time left. Let's uh, let's briefly cover a couple things. The U.S. Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia uh, upheld a, a federal judge's ruling that Arkansas's work requirement is unconstitutional. Not a huge surprise. Almost certainly will go to the Supreme Court. Uh, whether the Supreme Court will take it up. Yeah. Do they have enough Republicans on there now? I just don't know. I mean, it, the law couldn't be clearer. And, and Asa Hutchinson is is all but lied in saying that there was a legitimate question here that they could do this. The Medicaid law is about providing health care for poor people, not other BS like making them get jobs and somehow making them more self-sufficient. And, and by the way, some of these people that got thrown off because of this work rule do work. Uh, they just have a hard time sustaining work for a variety of reasons. Seasonal work, illnesses, that sort of thing. It's just... This is just mean-spirited stuff. Of course, ASA and the Republican legislature are moving in any number of ways to cut spending on so-called welfare programs, whether it's for the disabled, the people who need home care, whether it's for people on food stamps. I mean, just as a, as a matter of, of principle, they just resent giving government money to poor people. They love to give it to corporations and fat cats, but poor people, not so much. They would love if uh, President Trump's proposal for... Uh, Medicaid to be turned into a block grant program comes to pass. Oh, right. Except that there's some there's some problems in Arkansas for that because in the end, that means less government spending at the federal level. And, in, and right now, the Medicaid program, as it's structured, makes Arkansas a lot of money. It, it's a, been a boon to the Arkansas budget. It's created this huge slush fund that Ace is always doling money out of his that he controls. I mean, we replaced the, the the legislature's pork barrel with the governor's pork barrel, and he passes out money as he sees fit, depending on how he wants to spend it. Uh, and this probably has there's unlikely that block grants would withstand legal challenges as well. Or hard to know, but it yeah, would it'd be subject to them. Sorry. No, there'll they'll be there'll be some arguments about it before it's done. Uh, okay, I I hadn't watched a presidential debate since uh, Cory Booker was was still part of the field. I think wisely because uh, a lot of them have been tedious. But I was glad that I tuned in uh, on Wednesday because it was pretty fun to watch. It was great. Mike Bloomberg appeared for the first time, and of course Elizabeth Warren just ate his lunch. Right. That's primarily why I watched. That, that, was, what was, that was what was great about Bloomberg it. get destroyed. You know, I think I do think though it's true that. That it's kind of that that Bernie's in a pretty good position. I mean, one thing that happened is, you know, there was Elizabeth Warren eviscerating Bloomberg, which was fun to watch, and there was the quarrel between Buttigieg and, and Klobuchar. She's coming to Arkansas Sunday, by the way. But uh, you know, Bernie wasn't touched much. Bloomberg got in a jab against him, I think. But but uh, so to to that extent, Sanders kind of benefited by not being roughed up himself. And he's in the lead. He doesn't have a majority lead. And he's already talking about saying, well, plurality ought to win in the delegate count, which is kind of nuts. But uh, in, in, in any event, I, clearly Trump wants Sanders to win the nomination. He thinks he's the most beatable. Whether You know, the polls don't necessarily indicate that. But I just finally decided that I was not going to play the electability game. 
I was not going to pay any attention to what the polls said or what the smart guys said about who could beat who and who could beat who. I voted for the candidate I voted early that, that was closest to my outlook, and that was Elizabeth Warren. Yeah, well, that's that's where I am, though. I, I like to vote on Election Day, so we'll see. She. Uh, I mean, she's made some mistakes. I mean, I don't love every single thing she's done, and I think politically she made some mistakes on the Medicare issue, for example. But, I mean, she's tough and she's gutsy, and what I really hate is this, they're playing the Hillary game again. She's a bitch. Right. Like, and people say, gosh, she's so mean and nasty. Well, when a man is like that, it's like, oh, he's so forceful. And tough. But, she, right. but she's a bitch. Right. And I'm just so sick of that. I'm just sick of it. Yeah. So. Yeah, I I have <laughs> no patience for the we have to elect Bloomberg. We have to move to Bloomberg because we got to beat Trump. God, he's a jerk. He's awful. He's awful. I mean, he's he's had he's bad on race. He's bad on women. He's an autocrat. He's a legitimate billionaire who made his money in a, in a more or less honest fashion. So he's got that on Trump, but. He's kind of a Trump Jr. in a lot of ways. I, I, I'm just, the, the notion that Bloomberg is our salvation, I just don't get it. Right. And <laughs> the the folks who have lied. However, I will say this, he gets under Trump's skin. Yeah. More than just about anybody out there. And I do kind of like that. Right. I, I think the, the folks who have lined up to endorse Bloomberg, you have to consider their motivations. Sure. Frank Scott, I mean... Bloomberg's record on race is abysmal. And, and we've got a black mayor back, and of course there are a number of black mayors in the South that backed him. And I think it's because they expect dividends from it. I, I don't mean personal dividends. Sure. But I mean, I mean some Blo- kind Bloomberg of ta- philanthropy is an enormous <laughs> thing. That... Yeah, I mean, Bloomberg might be the one that steps up and provides some money for Little Rock schools. Who knows? I don't know. Yeah. All right, well, let's leave it there and move on to endorsements. What do you got? Well, I just read this great book. Is it called The Yellow House? And I've forgotten yeah. the name of the author. This writer. It won the National Book Award or the Pulitzer, I can't remember. Well, it's about a woman who grew up in New Orleans mm-hmm. and, and kind of the history of her family and this house that a dozen kids lived in over the years. And it's it's just, it was just kind of a masterwork, partly because New Orleans is such a special place. There's no place in the world like it. And she. She really captured it, these these gradations of families based on the color of their skin, lighter and darker, and, you know, the the immense talent so many of them had, then the diaspora as a result of Katrina. It was just this just sort of monumental recapitulation of her family's life that was just, I just was in awe of it. Yeah, I want to read that. She was here um, earlier in the year. The Oxford American had her... At Ron Robinson. I was sorry to miss that. Yeah, she writes for Oxford American Summit. She wrote for Oprah Magazine at one time. and She had a short period as an assistant to Ray Nagin when he was mayor of New Orleans. It's kind of funny. Anyway, it's just, just full. And it was just, I, I just, she wrote about so many places I've been and I've seen and I've observed. It was just, it was, it was wonderful. Great book. Okay. Uh, well, I uh, will endorse, not that he needs any endorsing because. Surely everyone is is on this, but uh, Charles Portis died earlier this week, and if you have not read all of Charles Portis's novels, you should. It's just a rite of passage. You have to. No, he's it's good stuff. I still love Norwood. His well, first. Yeah, I think I think Norwood. It's is, light, but I mean, it, but it's just funny. I think Dog of the South is probably my favorite, but um, but really, there's. 
And, you know, even Gringo's is incredibly weird, but... It's yeah, some of those later ones were a little weird. I mean, Masters of Atlanta was yeah, kind of very weird, kind of strange. But uh, there, there's there's something to recommend in all of them. Um, the the great Charles Portis story, unreported that uh, that we did. Uh, he got awarded uh, a big prize by the Oxford American years ago, uh, back when Warwick was the publisher. He somehow. Gotten some sponsors, I think, to give like ten thousand dollar awards for this, um, this banquet that they held, and they were honoring Morgan Freeman and Charles Portis. And Portis shows up in a tuxedo, and uh, gets his picture made, and is there for a little bit, and then disappears. And so they call him at home, and he sort of acts like, "Oh, I forgot about this." And so then he comes back down in his tan members-only jacket. Uh, I mean, I guess because they reminded him you're about to get a $10,000 check or whatever it was, something big. And uh, and he comes, and, and we, we actually reported all this, but the thing that was left out is that he proceeded to get a little bit in his cups and was making out in the back row with Phyllis Brandon, the high-profile editor, and I think maybe his old college sweetheart. And uh, our reporter, James Matthews, left that out. I always give him grief that that was such journalistic malpractice. Because <laughs> what, a, what a Charles Portis uh, story that, uh, you know, to, to sort of pretend like, like you weren't there earlier and, and didn't know what was going on. Well, he was an interesting guy. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for listening. Subscribe uh, via iTunes or your favorite place to get podcasts. And we'll be back next week. See you later.